ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Adam Campbell, welcome to ATV Talk. Thank you for taking some time with us. Um, you kind of became the photographer to the stars and left all your <laughs> ATV people, people behind. And I uh, uh, want to do some catching up here and, and, and find out how you're doing and, and how things are going for you. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, I remember I reached out to you. I've, I've never listened to a podcast a day in, ever you know, a day in my life. And your, your podcast popped up on my feed and I'm like, I got to check this out. So sure enough, I started scrolling down and seeing a lot of the names that obviously I recognized from my past that were some of my childhood heroes, you know, Jimmy White, Mike Coe, uh, Doug Gust, everybody. I'm like, started listening. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And especially nowadays when things are changing where, you know, you only have a few magazines, everything is social media, everything is right now. It's nice to have another platform where people can talk freely and, you know, look, we're all in our car. We all sit in traffic. And I got to say, it's so nice to be able to click on and hear these backstories that you maybe heard rumors about and never actually truly knew the full truth about them and actually got to listen in depth to, you know, Jimmy White talking about his racing days and his rivalry, rivalry with Marty Hart and everything. And then it's just been a, you know, so congratulations on putting us all together and you're doing an awesome job. And I, I, been truly i'm a fan i'm enjoying it well i appreciate that and there are things that happen behind the scenes that like you know because you were a behind the scenes guy in your yeah. career with the magazines and and doing photo shoots there are things that happen behind the scenes that i don't think anybody in the atv world would ever believe uh, <laughs> and even understand the well i didn't obviously and if i would have known before we started doing a podcast what it took to do a podcast, I might not have done it. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. It's not like you just, I, I don't even know how it works. You know, I, I, I mean, we've had some discussions you and I prior to this on the amount of work that it takes and how to get it out there. 
properly and have a, like a run sheet of things you're going to do and when it's going to be posted. It's a lot of work, you know, and especially with a full-time job. I mean, that, well, Hey, this, my hat's off to you. This is my third full-time job. So <laughs> uh, I didn't think I was busy enough. And, uh, um, some things changed in my life, which, you know, about change of life and, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I needed to be home. And, um, so I haven't traveled in a while and, uh, here we are with a podcast and, uh, hopefully things will change back to traveling soon, but, um, yeah, we're rolling and, and, and anybody in the ATV world that hasn't heard, I came home to take care of my mom and, and unfortunately right. she's passed. And, um, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Me too. And, and, and yeah, it's we're, tough. we're back to, uh, well, if anybody knew my mom out there, anybody listening, I'm sure there's a few people that do. She knows that she's cracking the whip behind me going and stop, stop. Sorry for yourself and, and get up and go back to work right now. Chop. Done. Right. right. So right. being said, Adam, we yes. haven't seen each other or talked for quite a while. And I it's know been a long time you have done some pretty amazingly cool things with your business, taking photos. And uh, I know you wrote some stories for, for the magazines, but you were doing a lot yeah. of photo work um, and you've done a bunch of other photo work. Uh, tell me a yeah. little about that. I, do you want me to get right into basically the writing of photography or how I got you into it? You tell the story, brother. Is there you? This All is right. I guess. I guess I'd like to start with maybe even just my racing and how it led into photography because I, I wasn't always a photographer. Um, I started out as a little kid uh, on a little go-kart that my dad got me. And we used to go out to Indian Dunes, if you remember that place. Yes, I do. Um, Indian Dunes was a local track off of 126 out by Castaic. I believe it closed in, I'm going to say 84. 485 maybe. And they had everything there. They had two motocross tracks. They had a big oval. They had a small oval. They had like a landing strip for airplanes. It was very popular for filming. Um, and we used to go out there and, you know, I didn't know anything. I just go around the track and, you know, did it enough to where I, I really enjoyed it. Fast forward a little bit to get into the ATV world. Uh, my first ATC, I had a ATC 200. 200, 200X that my dad got me. Same thing. We'd go out to Indian Dunes, ride around, never really raced. It was just kind of the machine that taught me how to shift. It was fairly friendly. As we know, it didn't have a ton of power. It just kind of got you around. And, you know, Indian Dunes was cool. We just, we would, there were some little tracks that we'd go around. Uh, there's some sand in the background, um, in the back of the, the area where all the tracks were. Um, you know, it was a good time. Um, I did want to race. I was just really small. I'm, I'm guessing I was maybe like 10 years old, 11 years old, something like that. So it was pretty small. Um, the next ATC that I had, I had a, uh, my dad got me a 250R, which, you know, to put a little kid on a 250R, like I have a 12 year old, there's no way in hell I would put her on 250R. I mean, but we didn't have, there wasn't, you know, there was a little 70, there were 185S. We just kind of jumped right into like the big boys. and you know, I rode the 250R around again. It was a huge learning curve. Taught myself how to reshift on it. I didn't really race it, but I went on a motocross tracks. Um, actually, I did do a couple races, but they were just—I just could never get the hang of riding three wheelers. They just didn't jive with me. You know, um, my first quad was a uh, Suzuki 230 quad sport, 
And my dad surprised me, he brought it home, had a set of turf tamers on it. And I think that weekend we just took it to a race. I never even rode it. It was, I think it was like an ATV rodeo. I don't know if you've ever heard of those or anybody's ever seen those. And I did a couple when I was really small and, uh, you know, it, it was on a three wheeler. It wasn't anything special. Jumped on a two thirty, And I think I won the whole thing. Like it just made sense to me. I don't know why it just clicked. As soon as I got on that four wheeler, it, it just, it just worked and started racing that. Um, it became pretty good. And a lot of the guys that were fast in the three wheeler days, like, uh, I'm trying to think, um, uh, John, there was this, uh, rider, John Smulo, and he was about my age and he had like a custom 83 wheeler, uh, back in the day, they would take like KX eighties and make three wheelers out of them. And they were just badass. And, you know, we didn't have the money to do that. And he would always smoke me, especially on the three wheeler races, you know, the few that I did, um, and I remember when we get on a quad, I was finally dicing it out with them. And it was just like the coolest thing in the world. Um, and I raced, we did LACR, uh, race that they had us like this, was it CRC had a series and CMC and stuff like that. And at the time they didn't really have a quad class. There was only a few people. So they put me in with the three wheelers. Uh, I think one of the top guys I seen was like Eric Richter. And there was other couple fast three wheeler pros. Well, we started doing a little work to the quads and stuff like that. Before I knew it, I was hanging with them. And I mean, these guys, I never, these were like my, some of my idols. I couldn't, couldn't never beat them. I finally started hanging with them. And then I think I finally won one of the races. And then it's like, no, we can't have four wheelers with three wheelers. And they started separating, making different classes, stuff like that. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting time and it was, it was a fun time, you know? Um, then went to a quad racer 250 and started racing that and same thing. I was pretty competitive by that time. The quad classes were getting a little bit bigger. Um, it was pretty much all Suzuki's at that point, as you know, Hondas weren't out yet. Hondas came out when 80, 86, 86. Yeah. So we're probably going back to like 84, 85, maybe. Uh, first, so the first LT 250 was 85. Okay. So yeah. Okay. That would make sense then. So yeah, it was just basically Suzuki's then. And then we went out to, um, the Honda started coming into play. Um, do you remember the top gun series at Glen Helen? Vaguely, vaguely. Glen Helen finally quads started getting more and more popular. Glen Helen had a series called the top gun series. Top gun series was all quads, all classes, all quads. And it was great because we finally found a home. There was no motorcycles. The track definitely wasn't like it was today. It was uh, very smooth, a lot of roller jumps, very fast. Uh, so everybody was fairly quick on the on that course. And that was actually a blast to race. And it, I did pretty well. I kind of started going through the ranks a little bit. Finally got into, in, into the intermediate class. Um, did some Golden State Nationals. Uh, I did win the title. Uh, CMC was it who did the golden state national was it CMC you remember it was yeah so I won the intermediate the overall the championship for that and then I think I finally I finally jumped onto a Honda and then obviously you know it uh took a while to kind of get used to things I was so used to Suzuki so finally to have a Honda 250R that definitely worked a lot better was uh was definitely interesting you know and and the thing is I there were more parts. There were more people working on them. 
you know, yeah, the, exactly. The evolution was happening twice as fast. Exactly. Exactly. So it was, um, it was, um, it worked really well and I did pretty well on it. Uh, I turned pro, I believe when I was maybe 16 or 17, my first pro race was out in Ventura, just fairgrounds. Have you ever been there? Did you guys ever race there at all? Not that I remember. Yeah, it was just a, it was a fairground race and we had a good, good amount of local pros there that would show up. And, uh, it took me a few races, but I finally won a couple. Um, and as far as, I guess I can fast forward a little bit, get right into the photography. Um, I started, I did some of the Mickey's events and I did. Okay. You know, I was, I consider myself to be a fast local pro, you know, did I win any Mickey races? No, I made main events. Um, I just tried to show kind of show my face everywhere when it came to racing and just do what I can, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I had to come up with all my own, you know, parts and make relationships and, and just kind of put it together myself, which was, uh, not always the easiest, you know, but somehow I made it work. Um, I became friends with finally got a phone call one day from Steve Casper, who was the editor of dirt wheels magazine at the time. And he said, Hey, you want to, you want to come, come test ride for us? And I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd love to. So I started test riding, uh, for them. And it was just, I mean, to be in a magazine was the coolest thing in the world. I mean, I'm in a magazine. These are, I collected magazines from when I was a little kid and I had a stack of them in my mom's house. So to me, all this stuff kind of just led up to this point, like, Oh my God, this is, this is amazing. You know? And so it became a regular thing. He was calling me once a month, then twice a month, sometimes three times a month. And at this time I was still racing and, uh, you know, what it did for me now that I look back at everything and my career as a photographer and hustling, it taught me, you know, I would turn down at the time I was working in the movie industry doing special effects and I would turn down days on the movie set, which paid a good amount of money as a kid, um, just to get my picture in a magazine. And again, I wasn't the fastest pro out there, but I had more publicity than pretty much any other quad racer or rider around. I mean, I was on, I, I trying to think how many covers I've been on probably, I don't know, at least 40, 50 covers through my whole career, plus all the pages inside. So if you look at that, especially, you know, there was no social media back then that was the social media. So what it did for me is that it didn't cost me any money to race at that point. And we all know how expensive it is to raise quads. And I, I was really lucky when it came, when it came down to that, I mean, I would, I would go out, like all the parts were given to us for builds that we've done. Um, we would always make sure we shot pictures of everything to, you know, quote unquote, pay for everything. So I was real lucky in the sense that I, I got to travel around and race and really maybe just pay entry fees. That's about it. So for me, it was kind of like a win-win. I was in the magazine. I was being competitive. I had great equipment. Um, and it, uh, it was a really cool time. You know, it's, it's, I, nowadays, I don't think you can do what I did now. Like I did back then. No, you know, <clears throat> you can't. Mm -mm. The, no, there's, there's no way. The industry's changed. Um, so much in the 
product deal. Now we bring most of the machines we bring totally set up already done and we bring our own guy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, totally. And you know, it it was funny because I, I never thought I would get to that. I mean, back in the day, I mean, you probably remember this just backtracking a little bit, going to Riverside raceway and watching those guys, you know, Marty Hart and Denton and all those go down the Riverside track that straightaways and hitting that turn at 70 miles an hour at the end of the straightaways, hanging it off there. You know, I wanted to be like them. And, you know, I just, I was young when all that happened and I, I, you know, can't go back in time to go there to do that. So it, I kind of had to make my own, um, make my own race program, you know, skipping forward and figure out how to make it work. I mean, it, it was, uh, but they definitely helped beat in a magazine, you know, um, as yeah, far as the road for you, what's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The road for you. Everybody knew you. Well, that's just it. And again, I, I, I was fast and I, I like to think of myself as a decent writer and, and, uh, uh, everything, but everybody knew who I was. And, you know, I wish I could say it was, oh, it was because I won all these races and everything, but it was because of the magazine, you know, and I fell in love with it. I, I, I really enjoyed testing and being one of the first guys to ride a new machine. And I rode every single quad that was ever made throughout that, you know, eight or nine year stint that I had with, with dirt wheels. And that's pretty cool intend to ride them before anybody even knew about them. And, you know, the hardest part was keeping your mouth shut and not talking about them, you know, because of the embargoes on like the press launches and everything else. When, you know, you come back and you're just like, Oh, you just want to tell everybody. I just wrote a new like Z 400 Suzuki. I remember when that thing came out, it was just like, Oh my God, you know? And like, to me, that was like the coolest part about the whole magazine thing. Yeah. I, we, we had a little bit of bad behind the scenes stuff done with our company and uh, it, it always was awesome, you know, because you're getting to do things and touch things that the general public has no idea it's coming. Yeah. And, and yeah, so excited about it. Um, and then the, the launch date happens and within a couple of weeks it's old hat and you're just selling parts for another model, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm sure you guys were probably one of the first ones like after things came out to get your hands on it, to start looking at tearing down the motor and figuring out what you need and all that stuff. It, you know, and for a long while, I, that's the way it was nowadays. No, you have to go buy one just like everybody else. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, nowadays you can't even get a loaner unit. I mean, everything that, that comes out is sold, you know? So you might have one for a week now where before we used to be able to keep a unit, you know, I used to have loaner units for a year, if not longer to race and do stories on, which was awesome. And then those days are just so gone, you know, and I, kind of, uh, it gets sort of makes me, I mean, it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that everybody's so busy, but at the same time on things like that, as far as getting units to be able to test and shoot, it's definitely, uh, definitely, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? It's, it's kind of puts a damper on the whole program. You know, if you want to go out and do multiple tests and build it, try different things. Well, the way the industry's going now, we are building new 2021 Yamahas and, you know, old school three wheelers all the time. And, you know, 
five feet apart, you got one old school build and a new school build. And, and you're just, you're pulling your hair out because the general consumer right now is buying every part you have on the shelf uh, for old oh, yeah. new models and they don't even care. They're just buying. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm seeing a big, there's a big uh, swing in like three wheelers right now. I'm seeing banshees, three wheelers, two fifty R's. Um, they're all huge. You're getting try the tri Z people are coming out, you know, and, and having the tri Z's worked on. You have the Ducati people coming out and having them work right. on. Um, the conversion guys with the motorcycles into three wheelers, that's a big deal as well. Um, I haven't got to right. buy one yet. Not Those what is it? Is that company was it BBC or something like that? Um, that's making the new three wheelers? Uh something like that. I haven't got to talk to them, uh, a, because we haven't dealt, jumped into that market yet. Um, and I want to ride one, but then again, I don't want to ride a three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they look really sweet, but I just remember how I'm going back years and years ago. I jumped on a three-wheeler just to try it. I literally rode it a few hundred feet and I was like, there's just no way I'll kill myself on this thing. I, I and I, I can't believe what, like, uh, I saw some video of like, uh, Hagsma, like sending that thing at like a works race and doing different things. And I'm just like, Whoa, that's incredible. I mean, there's just no way, but it's cool to see that they're out there again, you know? Well, he's a talented guy and yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking at it thinking why? Yeah. But for the, the thrill of it, you know, Hey, these people love three wheelers and, and that's okay. Um, I'm lost most of my skills for three wheelers. I'm sure that if I yeah. wanted to go ride and that's all I had, I'd go ride it and, uh, and, and they'd come back slowly. But yeah, you remember the you hooking the seat with your boots so you could pitch it through the sweeper, <laughs> you know, and, and, and yeah. around the sweeper, you know, and, uh, I, I remember all those things and it was so fun. Uh, yeah. I just remember leaning it over like that and, oh man. It, it, that was a definitely a crazy time. I mean, I was young, I was a little kid. So, and I, I, like I said, as soon as I got on the four wheelers, that's when things sort of kind of worked, you know? Um, but anyway, kind of, kind of def deflected a little bit from your initial question about photography. I mean, guess we just jump right into that. Um, photography. I, uh, I've always enjoyed taking photos. Um, I've always had a camera in my hand, um, literally like a point and shoot. Um, and at the time when I was test riding and I was doing a little bit of racing, uh, Steve Casper is like, Hey, you know, when you get a, you know, between different movies or whatever I was working on, it's like, why don't you get a camera and you come out and shoot with us? I'm like, okay. Went out, spent $500 on my first camera. It was a Canon and lawn film camera. And I remember Casper, they put me on, they only had me shooting black and white, uh, black and white was very forgiving. So in other words, my exposures were off, um, uh, you know, you can bring it back. They had a good amount of range before we went into color transparencies, which was slide film. So I remember the, I got the camera and I loaded up and I think the first thing he took me to was the Atlanta Grand Prix to help him shoot because he needed help. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go by the mud hole. That's where things happen. So I load up some film, I had a big bag of film, load up the film, get ready to shoot. I think the second guy that came down a quad landed in the water, splashed my whole camera with mud and water. I was just like, Oh my God, I think I'm just going to cry. Anyway, I, somehow I cleaned it enough to finish shooting. Um, and you know, he had me on black and white film for probably close to a year. 
you know, just learning how it works. And I didn't get so much into technical side. I literally started on putting the camera basically on automatic and just shooting and working on composition. And for me, it was, you know, coming from a racer was easy for me to find a good shot because I understood it. I understood the body language. I, um, I knew what looked cool. I knew what didn't, you know? And so it was always simple for me to grab that shot that I wanted to see. I just, you know, it's like what I wanted to see in the magazine. And now that I look back on like the photos when you first learn, I mean, they're horrible, but I mean, that's how we learn, you know? And so I shot that for a long time. And then I, um, finally, after about a year that they started putting me onto color film, which was slide film. Slide film is, you got to be pretty spot on. I mean, exposure wise, everything else. So it took me a while to get used to it. And, uh, I taught myself and with help from Steve Casper and John Carr, who's still shooting there. And actually I've been test writing for them on their mountain bike magazine and the road bike magazine. And, uh, the guy's still there shooting away. And we have such a fun time shooting. Cause you know, we, I like busting his balls about how he's shooting and he'll yell at me about my style on a bike or something like that. So we have a really good time. Um, finally, uh, I think it was 2000. I started, I, I was in the movie industry for about 10 years at that point. I was like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with this. You know, it's my, my mind is always on quads, always on cameras. I, I wasn't going to become rich. I did special effects. I, I wasn't going to become rich. Our union over there were a little bit on the corrupt side, if you ask me. So in 2000, I decided to go full-time photographer and I had enough money saved up to support myself basically for a year. So I took that chance and I actually started working for high torque. I mean, it's funny. I think all of us, all the photographers, all the editors, I think we all started working at high torque at one time or another, we all put in our time there. And I worked there for about five years and there's a lot of great people there. And I tried to learn as much as I possibly could from everybody that was there. Um, you know, and I just shot and shot and shot and shot. And, you know, I would shoot one, one quad and go through eight rolls of film, you know, and it was, uh, it was a lot of work, you know, but if I were to teach somebody photography today, I I would want to teach them on film and teach them the old school ways. And a lot of those principles that we, that are still in today's high tech digital cameras go back way to when Ansel Adams was shooting. A lot of those camera mathematics are the same, just with this high tech flare, um, that helps, um, that helps with a lot of different things, you know, as far as, as far as, exposures go and shooting raw and being able to, um, do a ton of things after the fact, even though we have all that, it still comes down to basics. You know, it's, it's, I imagine it's just like any other, you know, evolution of whether it's a a quad or a, a motorcycle or a camera, there's an evolution, but it always comes back to those basics. So I shot for high torque for probably about five years and just, I become obsessed with photography. It was, it was, you know, if I look back at like my racing career and everything else, I, it played a part in my life and this is it. And I didn't realize it back then, but all the racing I did and all the contacts I made and all the broken bones and everything else, it led to my career. And I, I never, 
knew that going into it. I didn't get into photography. I didn't know you can make money doing photography. I did it for fun. I mean, I would, before I started working at high torque, I would shoot a picture. They'd buy a photo for me for like $75, $50. You know, I would take that money and just put it back into my cameras. And I would still do a day or two here and there in the movie industry to keep up my benefits and make some, you know, real money. Um, but for the most part, I, uh, I just went full bore on the photography and I, I tell people it was like a, it's like an, a, an obsession that turned into a passion, you know, and I'm still, I just spent the last eight hours editing photos from a shoot this weekend. And I still enjoy looking at the images, you know, and I'm excited to see what I got after a shoot, you know, that, that, that excitement has never left me. And so, um, moving on, um, back then I had a, basically an exclusivity deal with, with high torque. So they paid me basically not to go to the competition because at that point there was, you know, quad magazine, ATV rider. There was a few magazines that were competitive. So, um, my very first client that I had was Max's tires and they saw a picture that I took and they, uh, wanted to buy an image from me to use for an ad. And I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. They want to use an image. How cool. Um, so I, I sold them an image, um, and ended up using it for ads. And that's kind of how the, the commercial part of my business started was right there to figure, you know, my goal as a photographer was, is to, shoot a picture. And when somebody's skimming through a magazine, my job is to make them stop on that photo. If I can do that, then my job is done. And to see what that photo represents, like, Oh my God, it's Gary Denton. He, what is he wearing? He's wearing this. What kind of helmet does he have? What you know, that was my goal. And I, I didn't want to, I wanted to create my own style and come up with my own, um, flair to these photos in order to do that. I used, um, you know, a lot of people use on, on camera strobes. Um, I'm not saying I was the first person to do this, but I perfected it early on using multiple lights to shoot action shots, to really make that, to really make the subject like pop out. And there wasn't a lot of people doing it at the time. And so I, I thought for me, that's what kind of made my work different than every other photographer. Cause it was competitive then it's really competitive now because of how technology is. But back then I, I really had to figure out the best way to differentiate myself from everybody else. When you were, when you would go and shoot, cause I know you've shot most supercross and you've shot stuff for the factories. Um, yeah. how did you, and this is probably not as, in, uh, impactful for the people that are going to listen to this episode as me. Uh, how did you, incorporate your lighting with like action shots at a supercross. Yeah. Well, supercross is, uh, they're pretty strict on things. Um, when I first started shooting supercross, it was for motocross action and they were pretty loose on things on where you can stand. I mean, you can pretty much stand anywhere as time went along, they started corralling people only in a few areas. You can only shoot here, only shoot there. Um, you weren't allowed to have, strobes on stands like that are placed somewhere else on the track than where you're not standing, like where you're not standing. Like you had to use an on-camera strobe back then when we went, when we were shooting film, um, we had to use on-camera flashes aftermarket flashes. They weren't made by Canon. They were made by, I think quantum Q flash made them. And they had like a big parabolic reflector to really throw out a lot of light. So you're kind of limited to shooting one rider at a time where 
today the technology is getting so good and neat. You can crank up the ISO, which basically make it, it's very sensitive to light. You can capture 20, you can capture a whole field in one photo without using just natural light in the stadium. But back then we had to use just an on-camera flash. So you were, you were pretty limited to the shots that you can, you can take. Uh, technology has definitely taken it to another, another level where you can pretty much shoot anything without using a strobe. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I have, I haven't shot Supercross now in a few years. A lot of the publications now, as you know, are just, they're no longer, you know, there's only a few print magazines now and everything else is online, you know? So a lot of the stuff is done in-house now. So unfortunately I haven't done that in a while. Um, which, you know, again, I, do I like where photography has gone as far as like no more magazines and everything, social media, God, I wish we still had a bunch of magazines. I mean, well, it was great. Dirt wheels is rocking. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, you, you won't believe this. And, and most people won't that listen to this. The dirt wheel ads are bringing are, are back for bringing business. Wow. No kidding. That's amazing. Calls on the builds. Hey, I saw this in dirt wheels. I want this part. I saw this in dirt wheels. I want that part. And it's incredible. My brother and I are like, okay, we're lining machines up to build, to do builds for dirt wheels to just keep doing them because they're, they're working so well for our company, other companies not having the success we are. And and I can't tell you why that's happening, but it is. Um, And it's, wow. I mean, that's, that's, and you know what they really, it's funny. They were like one of the first ones and you know, they're still in business, which is incredible. I mean, good for them. And it, it's funny because they still have a lot of the same people that have worked there forever, you know, which is a testament to what, you know, what they're doing. It's working. You know, back in, you know, yeah, I heard the interview with him. It was great. Oh, dude, the guy's, I mean, he's phenomenal. Pat is just some of the nicest guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I've, stories about them when they were younger that they talk about and the pranks they used to pull on each other, you know, it's pretty, Oh awful. man. Oh man. The pranks. Yeah. They're, you know, and again, Pat, somebody who taught me a lot of stuff going into it as well. You know, I've, again, I was a test writer. I wasn't a photographer, you know? So I, I learned a lot from, from everybody over there, you know, and I just tried to take a little bit from this person and a little bit from that person to help create my own style on what I wanted to do. You know, I was there for, I think I, like I said, about five years. And at that point I, I felt like I didn't really have much more of a ladder to climb and I needed to kind of look elsewhere and not because of any other reason than that. I just, there was, I needed to get out there more. And I just felt at that point after shooting for that long and finally putting on some clients that I had to kind of branch out and, uh, move on. And at, at that point I started, uh, I signed a contract with, uh, ATV writer and, uh, I started shooting for them at that time. Billy Bartels was the editor and he's like, Hey, why don't you come shoot with us? So came up, we negotiated everything, came up with a contract. I shot for them. And actually that was probably one of the best moves because they have so many publications at that time. I think they were Peterson. It was Peterson publication. And at that time they had like, Dirt Rider, MX Racer, um, uh, Sport Rider, Baggers. I mean, they had a ton of publications. So after a while, I started shooting for all of them. 
you know, which was, which was amazing because everything was like, for me, financially it was great because everything was like a separate paycheck. I mean, I had my contract for the ATV side, but everything else that I shot was like a separate, you know, a separate billing thing. So it, it ended up being amazing, you know, back then, you know, to shoot for between five and eight different magazines, plus all my freelance work on top of that. I mean, it was, it was great. You know, it was, it was good times. That's, you know, let's, uh, let's change it up here a bit because you've done so much work behind the scenes. I want to ask you two questions about your most memorable shoot as the test rider and as the photographer. Wow. Um, as far as testing goes, I mean, again, all the brand new 450s when they came out, when we finally had, you know, all the OEMs, being a test rider and being able to ride all those back to back to back. We actually went out to uh, Donnie Banks's track, uh, Ichikani, Ichikani, that sand track out there for one of the shootouts. And we had the Kawasaki, the Can-Am, the Honda, the Suzuki, we had everything out there. And to be able to ride all the new 450s, that was amazing. I mean, because I did it with all the motorcycle brands all the time, you know, every year they had new four fifties and on, you know, for the quads, we didn't have, we didn't have anything, you know? So those, that shoot particular test, as far as the test rider goes. And I was a photographer. I did both actually on that one was pretty memorable. One of the craziest things I ever rode at Glen Helen, some guy built a quadzilla with a four cylinder, 500 CC gamma road racing motor in it. (laughs) And it didn't have a rev limiter. It had four pipes coming out the back. I just remember starting it and hearing four cylinders underneath you and going down, uh, like kind of right when you, there's like a big straightaways at Glen Helen and just railing that thing from one to like, it was unbelievably fast. It was scary fast. It never stopped pulling. The guy actually said, don't wind it out because it'll just blow itself up. There was no rev limiter. It just would blow. That was probably one of the craziest things I've ever rode is. And I remember taking around the track. I did some little jumps with it. I mean, you're not launching that thing, just some safe tabletops, but as far as like craziest things I ever rode, it was definitely that for <laughs> sure. You know, it was, it was, it was definitely that. Um, you know, shooting supercross, that was pretty, pretty cool. Going into the pits, going to the trailers, going to the OEMs and shooting all, you know, some of their autograph stop stock with the riders doing that stuff. That was pretty cool to be on the inside of that whole thing and working with the riders and getting those images that are going to help promote them. That was always a great time. And I was always excited to do that stuff. Um, I started shooting, uh, brochures as well. I worked with Kawasaki for about eight years and I did most of the press launches for him. I did, um, I shot brochures for him for about four years and those are big shoots. I mean, to go from a little $500 camera to doing a big shoot like that with a crew of like 15 people was pretty cool. It, It takes, it definitely takes a little bit of the fun out of it because of the pressure that's on you. And, you know, there's no mistakes. You can't make mistakes. I mean, there's, you shoot and then it goes from me to a Digitech who backs it up in multiple hard drives and everything else. But it, uh, those are some of the coolest things that I've ever, you know, I've had the opportunity to shoot or like the brochures for the OEMs. Nice. You know, I never thought that, I never thought that I would, 
you know, when I got into photography, I never thought that it would get to that, to that level. You know, I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I wanted it to, it's not like I had really doubt. I just, it was just kind of, once that started to happen, I got to that level. I was like, man, this is pretty cool. That is, you know, biggest, yeah. biggest thrill behind the camera when you're shooting someone, you know, like I didn't know this person in there, there they are in front of me. Uh, and you're shooting them. Well, that's just it. I mean, one of the, I got to say one of my favorite people to shoot and I've shot him multiple times and we became friends with Jeremy McGrath. First of all, he's a class act. I, uh, with dirt, I went to Hawaii with him with a dirt rider, they had a dirt rider adventure. We spent a week in Kauai with him, him, Steve Albertine, Steve Hatch. Who else was that? I think, um, those are like the main guys and to cruise around the Island with those guys and shoot for a week. Oh man. And just hang out and have sushi at night. That was like, that was pretty cool. And if we had a good time and it wasn't like, you know, I just hanging out with them as people, as friends was pretty fun. I mean, it wasn't like when we worked, we got our work done and, but to hang out and just know them as people was pretty cool too. You know, it's, it's cause everywhere we went, you know, everybody knew like McGrath and those guys. So everybody, you know, we went to a couple different motorcycle shops for whatever reason. And like the dealers just like, Oh my God, Jeremy's here and stuff like that. You know? So that was, that was one, some of the coolest times that I've, that I've had as far as like traveling with those guys. And then I've, since then I've shot him quite a bit for Maxis, you know, on his motorcycle and also on a side-by-side and everything else. So it's, uh, that was pretty cool too. That's yeah. pretty, That sounds pretty awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Meeting, um, meeting superstars that are everyday guys that don't ruin it for us. Right. Are always awesome. Oh yeah. I mean, I, again, I worked with some writers that I'm not going to even say names that were just their egos. Like I couldn't even get to them. I had to go through this person, this person, this person to get to them. Like you couldn't get to them directly. And it was like, come on, we're just going to go out and shoot some photos. I mean, you know, we don't have to do this whole thing or, you know, I've, I've been on a couple of photo shoots where, um, you know, we'll go out and the writer will be there for like an hour and be like, I got to go. And, and I kind of think back to like what I used to do in my racing, I would go out of my way leave a day at the movie industry, do everything I could to get one picture in a magazine. So I get a pair of free pants. Meanwhile, I'm shooting this guy for an ad campaign that's ultimately helping him with his salary. And he's like rushing me off, you know, like, okay, we got it. We're done. We're done. And I just, I never really understood that because I came from that other way. I worked my ass off to get sponsors and just to race. And I mean, I wasn't even really making any money. It was just to get gear or a pipe or nerf bars or something like that. These guys are getting paid big, big money. Yet it was almost like an inconvenience that they had to do a photo shoot. And that, that always kind of frustrated me. I never really understood that, you know? Well, let's roll it into the podcast thing. I've talked to, I reach out to a lot of people. Um, I've had very few just reach to me to, to be on, but I have reached out to a lot of people and some of them don't even acknowledge it. You know, they're like, I, I don't have time for this. And yeah, what I tell everybody is, Hey, I want to, I want your story to be told. I don't want to tell yeah. it. I can't tell yeah. it. Only you can tell it. So take some time and remember that this is promoting you. It's exactly. Promoting me. It's just promoting you. And, and for 
I've had a couple of guys want to get paid and I'm like, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm going in the hole doing this and out of my own pocket. Yeah. You, want, you want to get paid? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Hey, knock yourself out on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's just it. it. It's, you know, it's funny work again, going back to like McGrath, you know, his racing career is done, you know, and he's just out there. I mean, he's a spokesperson for Kawasaki and he does, he does his races and he's always around, but the thing is with him, he'll always go out of his way to get publicity because he knows the power of getting your picture or doing an article or saying hi to that fan. He's a marketable person. He's an approachable person. And, you know, that's one thing that, you know, a lot of racers today and everybody else, this is what they need to look This is what they need to look at, you know, is, is somebody like him who look, he, he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. He's done it all. He's the champ, but he's a super, you know, after, after he's a superstar after racing, what do you do? You know, you've got to try to earn money somehow. And this is part of it. He gets it, you know? And so it's kind of like, even with my racing, I, I, I think I heard, uh, I don't know if it was Joe bird. Somebody was talking about when they were done racing or a lot of races, like, what do you do? Like, Oh my God, it's over with. When I quit racing, I had to look back and, and I'm still, I'm very competitive. I cycle. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a avid cyclist and, uh, I still try to be competitive in it, but I had to come to the realization is that, okay, even if I was a top pro, I'm still not going to make anything. So I had to look back and say, okay, this is what racing did for me. You know, it taught me how to market myself, taught me how to talk to everybody. It taught me, taught me a lot that I had to apply it into my photography, you know, and that's what I got out of racing. You know, I had a great time. I won some races. I made a lot of great friends. I traveled the country and it led into my, I mean, this is my second career. I did special effects prior to this. So to have a second career 10 years into your life after getting out of high school was something that was pretty cool. I mean, it's sort of my two passions found each other, racing and photography. And I feel really blessed to have those two parts of my life merge and also to be able to get paid for it. You know, that's awesome. That really is, you know? Yeah. And it, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel really lucky. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely competitive. Um, you know, things are changing as you know, so much. I I remember there's, there's one story. There was this editor, Kento from sport writer, if you know Kento and we were on Glendora mountain road, shooting some Honda, some street bike. And he was zipping around. He'd come back every time and look at the photos. All right, cool. We'll do it again. Come around, drag his knee. So we're sitting there, we're talking and he says, uh, I think I brought some, this is when the iPad first came out. And I said, Hey, what do you think of this iPad? He goes, you mark my words. This is going to F everything up. And I'm like, you think he goes, Oh yeah. Sure enough. was it like a couple years later, you know, the iPad, all the digital stuff took everything over. Magazines were closing. He's out of a job. Everybody's out of a job because now like all the other magazines, you know, there's like one editor now doing everything, you right. know? And so it was a funny story yet. It wasn't funny story. It wasn't a funny story. And that's, you know, kind of going back to like the film days, as soon as I started getting the slightest inclination that things were going to go digital, that's when I started teaching myself digital photography. As soon as you, you knew you were an envisionary that saw that it's going to change, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of backtracking. I'm sort of all over the place here. You're fine. But, you're fine. Um, 
Yeah. You have to excuse me for that. I mean, there's just so many different things here, but yeah. It's, and I remember I got this little digital camera and it was small. I don't even remember how many pixels it was, but it, you could only blow up a picture, you know, like three inches by five inches or three by five, whatever it was. And I could only shoot little product photos that I was doing in high torque back in the day, but I wanted to learn because a lot of the OG photographers that I looked up to like Kenny Jones, Joe Bonello, the guys that have been around forever. I mean, they were like a couple of my idols coming up as a photographer. I'll never forget this. I remember Joe Bonello called me up one day. He went, he, you know, we finally had to start going digital. He was like one of the last ones and he got a digital camera. I remember he called me up freaking out that he shot some pictures. He didn't know where they're at. Didn't know where they were. He couldn't find them in a card and this and that. He shot a race. And luckily I walked him through it and we found him. But I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I wanted to acclimate to the times. You know, I saw that's where it was going. And I wanted to teach myself that as early as I can. And again, all the principles that I learned on film apply to apply to film to digital as well. So I'm glad I made that decision because there was a lot of guys that had to go that route back in the day that it took them a while to get used to, you know. And it was a it's definitely a scary thing. You know, we're, we're all struggling with social media, the older guys, the white hair guys. And yeah. I didn't have a crack team behind me of, uh, of young ladies that uh, understood social media. I don't, I don't think I could get through it. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, my oldest daughter that has a advertising agency in uh, Guadalajara uh, called Amber. Yeah. And she's a huge sponsor and, and huge developmental help and Valeria, the, the baby, um, does all the editing. Um, and yes, even though these episodes are pretty much raw and very little editing is done, I'm not a professional, which I think everybody knows that. And I talk about things that you're not supposed to talk about. Um, mainly about when episodes drop or how this happens or how bad that happens. And, and she cuts it all out because those are just things that aren't supposed to be talked about. And, and I tell her, I said, I'm talking about everything and it's open. And then the fan base, the people that are listening, most of them are going to be interested in it to some point. Yeah. Do you remember coming down to Duncan racing and going on a photo shoot with Doug Eichner and I in the middle of summer in the desert. Yes. And you know what? I was looking for that photo to send you. I, I remember correctly. It was on a Banshee. Yep. It was a blue Banshee. Yep. I went down there. We drove to, was it Ocotillo Wells? Where did we go? Yeah. We went to Ocotillo. In summer. And I just remember same thing, like having the strobe on the camera and doing that and how hot it was. And yeah, I do remember that. On the that was, out, my daughter calls me with a broken arm. She broke her arm. Oh, yes. Yep. I remember that. Oh my God. And we, yeah. were, we were driving out, out, out up the interstate eight headed out there. And there was, we were too, it was too late to turn around, you know? And I said, honey, I will get back to you as soon as I can. That was a long day. Well, I remember that. Well, do you remember getting to the bottom of the hill and us, everybody going, Hey, who brought the cooler? Oh my God. Yes. We didn't have a cooler. We didn't have water. We had nothing. That's right. Oh my God. I forgot about that. Yes. I remember when we popped the back door to the box van, it was 112 in the shade. Yep. Yes. I do remember that. I don't know how we pulled that one off. Um, oh man. I think that you shot the stills and the actions in less than an hour. 
I still don't, I still don't, I'm fast, but I'm not that fast anyway. I mean, I, we had to be that day. Yeah. Because we had no water, we had nothing. And, and all the stores were closed because it was yep. a day. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. Oh man. Yeah. I still, you know what? I have boxes and boxes of slide films. I mean, it, it's insane how much stuff I have. And I, I recently started scanning some stuff and I've been posting them on my Instagram account, just like I call them the scans. And I'm literally just scanning these old, like supercross photos or quad photos or some of the great racers, you know, Jeremiah Jones, um, you know, Tim Farr, uh, Travis Spader. I mean, I have all those things still, I kept them. I have all in files, which I love looking back on them, you know, one, just to see the writers and two, to look at my photography and just be like, wow, I've come a long way <laughs> since then, you know? Well, that's, and so that's how can, how can you say that when it was really good stuff, then it's still really good photos. Yeah. Granted, what do you shoot mostly now? You know, COVID hit me hard, really, really hard last year. I mean, business just stopped, like, you know, the OEMs, there was no more press launches. Um, everybody was shut down. It, it affected me really bad. Uh, I'm doing a lot more in the bicycle industry now. Um, I, and I also shoot for, um, you know, Brad Howell. Right. Sounds familiar. Yes. Yeah. He has a magazine called UTV off-road and ultimate terrain. So I help him out a few times a month just to stay within the side-by-side industry Well, side-by-side. I mean, I wish there was more quads, but everything we shoot is side-by-sides. Um, but I've been doing a lot of stuff in the bicycle industry more. And, um, uh, which is cool. Cause again, cycling now is, is kind of my passion. You know, I try to ride, Right now, I'm only going once a week. Uh, earlier on, depending on my schedule, sometimes I'll try to go two or three times a week. Um, and so, it, it again, passion kind of found, they both sort of found each other. Uh, plus, I also test ride for Mountain Bike Magazine and Road Bike Magazine, Road Bike Action and Mountain Bike Action. So I've been shooting quite a bit of bicycles. Like this last weekend, I was shooting for uh, Bianchi Bicycles, um, doing some some ads for them and stuff like that. So that's been the main thing, but I've also been doing a lot of cinematography lately. That's been a big part of my business, actually more cinema work these days than photography. So I had to make that trans. I had to kind of make that leap too. And again, all the basic principles of photography pretty much apply to cinema. I mean, yeah, there's some things that you have to learn, but as far as lighting goes and it's, it's pretty much the same, but except in capturing it one frame, you're capturing it 24 frames or 60 frames or 120 frames. So I've had to make that leap. That's been another big change that I've, and I've been doing it for a long time, but now I'm doing a lot of shooting. Um, I taught myself to edit, to become a better shooter. Um, I edit a lot of my, most of my own stuff, but on the big projects, I have a, I have an editor that comes down and, and I'll just basically direct and tell him what I want and he'll put it all together. So that's been another big change that I've had to kind of, that just organically had to happen in order to stay in business, especially being freelance. Wow. So it's yeah, so that quite a bit in, in all the years that hanging around with us, lowly ATV people. And now you're, that, you're hanging with the big, people. Uh, oh man, no, you know, I, it's funny. Cause after listening to your first couple podcasts, I was just like, I, it gave me the bug. Like I wanted to ride again. You know, I mean, I miss it. I miss racing. I miss the friends. I miss the competition, waking up early, going out to the tracks, spending the long days there. I mean, it was such a great time in my life, you know, and 
um, man, I, I, I'd love to go and, you know, there's that part of me that wants to race, but then there's that part of me that's, that says, you know, just leave it alone. Like it, it played <laughs> its part in your life. You're getting older now. You don't need to crash and break anything. You know? I mean, I think the last race I did was about five years ago. Uh, it was like the six hour endurance race at Glen Helen. And I did it with the guys from dirt wheels. Um, I train really hard. Like I have a trainer a couple times a week, plus I'm on my bike. So my endurance is, you know, I never trained like this when I was racing. You know, we didn't do that. We just rode, you know, but it's amazing to see those results. Like I, you know, I haven't rode before that five years prior to that. So, you know, it's just like anything else after one lap, you just, it's just like, you've never stopped. The only thing is I had the endurance. I mean, everybody's fast for one or two laps. I was going on that big track, six laps and no problem. I mean, yeah, my hands came apart. The things that just don't have the calluses like they used to, but it's, it felt, it felt amazing. I wish I was training like that when I was racing, cause that would have <laughs> really helped out quite a bit, but you don't know, you know, you get older, you know, you definitely get smarter, you know? And, and like I've heard you say, a lot of the faster guys, the champions are older, you know, they're smarter. It's not about how fast we can go from here to there. It's, it's being smart and watching your lines and watching your competitors and breaking, you know, and it's not about going as fast as you can, you know, it's, it's being steady and being consistent and being smooth. And that's one thing I tried to do when I was racing that it's just try to be as consistent as I could, you know, and to have now to have that fitness, like I still feel, I felt great at that on that race. You know, we raced all six hours on it and my, I don't know what class I raced in. I forgot. I smoked my class and I started working my way into the pros a little bit, which was kind of cool. Um, but that was, that was my last race on a quad. You know, I I'd, I'd love to be able to, uh, to go ride again. I mean, I do miss it. Did I hear you correctly saying that you ride two wheelers as well? No, just, just bicycles. No two wheeler stuff on the never bikes. I, Oh, on e-bikes. No motorcycles. Oh no, 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 no. Oh God. No, I kill myself. I never could get the hang of a motorcycle. I mean, when I was with dirt rider, I'd jump on one and just ride around or maybe do one lap on a track. I was like, I just couldn't figure it out, which is crazy because I was really into BMX as a kid. I ride mountain bikes all the time. I ride road bikes all the time. I just could not, it, maybe it was a twist throttle. I, I was a thumb, I was a thumb throttle guy. Really? You know, I never could. Yeah. I never could. One time I did have a 250 F for a while and I'm like, I'm gonna put a thumb throttle in this thing. I bet that'll cure half the problems. Somehow got back to one of the editors at dirt rider. And I never saw that bike again. <laughs> yeah. They took it away from me, but I, you know, I just, I can never ride, ride a motorcycle, you know? Wow. <laughs> I tried, but I tried, I just couldn't do it. I, yeah. I get sick when I see a thumb throttle on a motorcycle too, but but it, but it's more prevalent today with your ATV guys coming through the ranks and all there is is thumb throttles. When I started riding them, we put a twist throttle on everything, you know, yeah. 90 old nineties, the seventies, you know, when, when I was little, everything had a twist throttle on it immediately. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I just, again, growing up on three wheelers and in quads and everything else, um, I, that's all I ran was with a, was a thumb throttle. And I did try a twist for a while. And I remember going to a Mickey's running a twist throttle. It was awful. It was the worst thing. I forgot why we put one on there. I don't know if we had a, 
something failed and I had to borrow one or something. And that's all we had. I don't remember what the problem was, but it was, I went from being, I thought a pretty decent rider to like, I could barely get around a track. <laughs> and again, it's just, it's, it's muscle memory. It's just, it, you just, I'm just not used to it, you know? And then once we go put the thumb throttle back on, I was like, Oh, back to normal. You know, I think I, I remember one of the, I think I used, I think uh scat track, maybe one that was welded. It had like a bigger thumb part on the bottom. So, it, and it was really easy to leverage on there it was super easy and smooth. And that was, that was like the best setup I ever put on like my 250 R. If you have to pick your ultimate favorite quad, which one would it be? I knew you were going to ask this and you're gonna, probably going to laugh at my answer. Again, I've been very fortunate enough to ride every single machine that's out there. The most fun I've ever had on a machine is a Raptor 250. <laughs> Raptor 250. I, we did, we did a press launch at Glen Helen and they let us all race those things. Well, there's two. I'll tell you the second one in a minute. Um, we did a press launch and we had a full gate of people on Raptor two fifties and we did uh, a race at a, was it a quad cross? I think it might've been a quad cross or something like that, but we had our own class. It was so much fun. All stock. I mean, yeah, they barely get up the Hills. I mean, you, you could pretty much walk, but as far as fun goes with buddies, unbelievable. We, we did another one. I think when they originally released that thing, we did a press launch next to the queen Mary Yamaha built a little track out there and all of us were out there and it was just like, I'm saying to myself, someone's going to get hurt. Cause I mean, you can literally manual those things over like whoops, jump them, throw them around. They were just, as far as fun goes, that was the most fun quad I think I've ever ridden. The other one that I really enjoyed was the LT 450 Suzuki LT. Was it LTR or LT? LTR 450. LTR 450. We went out to Glen Helen for the press launch of that. And I remember I was late because I was shooting for dirt rider somewhere else. And I had to haul ass back down to Glen Helen from some other track. So I only got to spin about five laps on it that day. It was, it was impressive. I mean, yeah, the motor was mm, okay. But as far as handling goes, how low it's at, how it jumped, I fell in love with that machine. I liked it a lot. It, it, there was the caster on it. Everything was perfect on it. I felt, I, I thought that they did a really great job on that machine. And actually I raced one. Um, Wayne Henson built me up one, uh, basically a, a complete knockoff of one of the factory bikes had a full Yosh motor in it. Everything was done to it. That thing was a beast. Like it was a, that thing ran perfect. It had a lot of power to it. It handled amazing. It just, it worked for me. I really enjoyed that bike. That's another fun bike that I really, I really had a good time on. That's awesome. Did, did, you know, did you get to do a photo shoot on that bike that Wayne built you or is it was just for you to go ride? Both. It was, it was all the above. We built it, we did stories on it and then we raced it. And then Brian for a while, Brian Henson and I would go to the track. We'd go to like, um, uh, Glen Helen once a week to test out different clutch things. Or like when they first came out with the slipper clutch, we were testing that. That was pretty cool. It, it took a little bit getting used to, but once Wayne kind of explained to me, he didn't tell me what it was when they first put it in, put it in. He just, just go ride. I'm not telling you what we did to it. Okay. Wrote it. And there was definitely something different to it. I just couldn't quite pin it down. You know, it, it was, but then once we kind of explained to me what it was and the proper way to use it, it was pretty cool. I mean, so we did a story on that, did a few races on it. I ended up, um, basically just leaving it there. And he just, uh, he just bought it from me. I think like about a year ago, 
It's like, Hey, you're not using that thing. It's been here for you. You want to sell it to us? I'm like, yeah, go ahead take it. So I think they've been kind of like taking it out to the dunes and stuff. Um, another fun machine I rode was Josh Kramer's, uh, 450 Kawasaki. Uh, I went out to the track with Kawasaki. Um, and it was set up. I think this is after they kind of figured out a lot of stuff on there as far as making it handle and the motor goes, that bike worked really well too. And that was another fun bike to ride. They were fun stock too. That was a, other than the motors being weak or well, I, let me say, let me rephrase that the electronics for the weak link after you built the motor, then you had other issues, but uh, out of the box, everybody that rode one liked it. I liked it, but I felt the front end had issues. I don't know if it was a caster problem. To me, the front end felt different. It was very, it was overly responsive. So I think that might have something to do with caster. You might know better than me on that. I just felt that it was very twitchy. Yes. And I know they did a lot of work on it. Actually, I think what ended up, they put, I think, they ended up putting, you're going to laugh. And I think a lot of people have done this, put Suzuki spindles on it. No, you know what? I haven't played with the Suzuki spindle thing a lot. Um, I really haven't. Uh, It's something that's coming up in our world a little bit, not a lot. Um, Really the spindle that you have to go with is an aftermarket spindle. Um, And one of the problems they have, and then they had this, the spindle guys are going to freak out when I say this is they break. And what do they, what are they, what's the, are the angles, did they replicate it off of something that's already out there? Like a Suzuki or a Yamaha or something like that. Break and the aftermarket ones fail too. And, um, but as far as the angles, who did they try to match up in order to make it work better? You know, or was it just their own? They took the LTR and, you know, would make it, would adapt it to, uh, whatever, machine they're they're building so you have to change your upper a arm generally to change the geometry so that it all works out so you get your caster and camera correctly so that you gotcha gotcha well when i rode the cowie it it was pretty dialed in the suspension was a little soft for me because i'm a little bit heavier than josh was but that bike was i mean you know it had to it it worked great i mean it was towards the end after they got most of the things figured out but i did enjoy riding that machine that was another one of my favorites like if I have to think just really quick, that's another one that comes to mind. So are you going to go two stroke or four stroke? <laughs> oh man. You know, I do miss the sound of a good two stroke and the smell, but again, after riding four strokes and a newer four strokes, especially getting older, a four stroke, I mean, it just pulls you around. And I, and you know, I started really early on the four strokes. I mean, I had a Honda 400, the 400 yeah. actually no what was before the 400 x the gray one 200 uh what was the first four-wheeler four tracks the 200 uh they had a 125 they had a they no had it a was a sport one version. they had a 200 version um it was their sport one. it was gray when it came out gray with red plastic yeah. well they had a two what was it they had a 250x and then they had, then they went to the 350x 250x so i raced one of those for a while too and you know we had Back then, Curtis did the motor on it and everything else. And, you know, so I had, I started racing four strokes early on and then of course back to two strokes, but I, I always liked the four stroke power, but once the newer models came out, then it was, I mean, game over. I mean, 
Yamaha when they came out with theirs. I mean, it was, I remember when they first brought that out, we got to ride it for the first time. I mean, it was amazing. Well, I knew in nine, in 99, when they came out with that YZ 400 F when Yamaha did yep. that the world was going to change because that, and I'm not a motor guy. I'm not a motor builder. I can put motors together. My brother's the motor builder, but right. you just tell with the short stroke and the big piston and the, just the technology that, that, that they had there, that that was right. where motors were going to go. And we were yeah. a big fan of MotoGP. And you can watch the technology and the motor changes through that going from two stroke to four stroke and how they made some big piston, short stroke stuff. That was just still phenomenal. You know, when they revved to 16,000 RPM, incredible. It's a four stroke, you know, well, Hey, YFZ 450 R you put a, you put an ECU on it and you, you don't even have to change anything and it'll rev higher than a Banshee. That's insane. And it's a four-star. That's insane. Super reliable. I remember shooting Vegas Supercross when Doug Henry came out on that thing for the first time and won it. And I actually have pictures of that. And that was huge. That white one, but it was a 400 full works bike. And he went out there and won on it. And I remember I was there and everybody was just like, oh my God, there it is. Now it's starting. And it didn't take long for everybody to jump in that bandwagon. You know? And those are still, I look back at those photos from that event and I was like, wow, this is history changing. Oh, life changing for so many people because you have the hard two stroke people that just never could convert. You know, most people don't realize we were four stroke. Then we went two stroke and then we're back four stroke again, you know, and we're now we're doing both. So yeah, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, uh, it's, it's interesting how they came along and it's like, you know, what are they going to come out with next? And I, I'm sorry to, I'm kind of bummed that, you know, to see where quad racing, um, has gone. I mean, I remember in the nineties doing some races and I would show up and I would be the only one to track it like vanished for a long time. And I couldn't find, I couldn't find a race, you know? And then of course the OEMs came out with everything that changed everything. And now it seems like we're kind of going backwards again. You know, I mean, Yamaha, they're the only ones putting anything out right now. You know, I mean, praise Yamaha for that. Um, but oh, need, all the praise need, in the world. We also need to cuss the factories too, because when the factories came out the last time, the, the, excuse the way I'm going to say this. And if any of the factory guys are listening and you want to hit me up on this, you go right on ahead, but you pissed on all of us guys that were the backbone of the ATV world. Uh, all the guys that carried it for all those years, whether it be, you know, us or CT or Baldwin or Curtis yeah. or, or, or Leggers or, or roll, you know, or, you know, Walsh. I mean, we carried the whole deal and now we're carrying it again. And you left us a, a, a rat's nest of just pissed off people because you gave them all this money and you threw all these things at them and promised all this grandeur and, and none of it's there. You know, the only thing that I can think of is that, you know, it's granted everybody has is racing, you know, most of the field now is, I mean, well, it's Honda Yamaha. I mean, that's, that's all there is. I mean, it's there's regional. a couple of people on Suzuki, but the only, what's that? It's regional depending on where you are. Is what yeah. The only thing I can think of is that it gives the creatives like, you know, Doug roll and stuff like that 
this canvas that hasn't changed in a long time to be creative and see what else that, how they can expand and make come up with unique ideas or parts or something that's better. Because I mean, I don't think anybody's coming out with anything new, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost like you guys now are the OEMs again, you guys are the ones who are making them better. Well, like we were in the, in the nineties and in the, in the two thousands in the early two thousands, it's all Hondas. Well, yeah, it was all Hondas and, and, and it was all two fifty R's and we were developing everything and we were the factories and we had the riders and, and, you know, we had in-house race teams and, you know, yeah. carried the whole world. The whole ATV industry was carried by a few main companies uh, that were doing everything. And, um, now no offense to the riders. They all want money. I get it. Yeah. I get wanting money. I want money too, but I'm not yeah. going to pay you more than I make to go race. And then you yeah. mouth me on social media when you don't do the things that I tell you to do to make, make your motor reliable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like, there's one thing to do it for the love of it, but yeah, I mean, people have to make a living too, but it's just not to where it was. No. You know, again, listening to some of the earlier shows when, you know, uh, Marty Hart was talking a little bit about, you know, he kind of touched base. He didn't really allude to how much he was making, but it seems like they're making more money back then than people are today. Yes. There's a few that are probably doing proportionately. Okay. Proportionately wise, they were killing it back then. Yeah. I mean, and, and right now, if you go back to the, if you go, and look at the guys that are making money on the East coast and the West coast, you know, you have Walker Fowler, you have uh, Chad Weenan and you have Bo Barron. Those are your three main players. There yeah. might be another guy on the East that I'm missing uh, in the woods there or on the uh, motocross side of it. Uh, well, Joel Hetrix has got a pretty good deal. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, it's a shame. And there's a couple guys overseas that are making money. Um, but for the rest of it, we're, we're carrying the industry with independence again. Um, and if a new factory would come out, you know, the, the big joke is, Hey, you know, KTM bought Husky KTM bought gas, gas. Okay. Come out with three cards. We're all the same thing. Just like your bikes, just put different decals on them or different fenders on them and, 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 and give us a new, they would enlighten the whole industry. Uh, you know, but, but guys, if you're going to come out with a new KTM, hire an ATV guy, a real ATV guy to tell you how to build it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and again, I went to, I was one of the first guys to, along with the rest of the media to go ride that KTM. Um, and man, I mean, and again, we, we have, we did mod some as well to try to make them better. Um, you know, the motor, I dug the motor on them. I thought they were fast, but the handling, you sat on top of it. Like your center of gravity was really tall on that thing. And again, I remember the front end being really twitchy, like just, you know, you move a little bit. The thing was, it, it definitely did not handle. I did like the motor though. You know, again, I, I rode one, I think uh, we got one and Wayne, we put like an FMF pipe on it. We put some Fox floats on it. We put a steering dampener on there and it was okay. I mean, I remember, the motor being really good. And I remember the, if I remember correctly, I remember the brakes on that thing were incredible. Like I would, I was riding a Suzuki before that thing and I would 
be on Glen, going down Glen Helen on a straightaway as fast as I can go, just grab a handful of brake and be okay. I did the same thing on the KTM and about went over the bars on that thing. You know, I don't know what the difference was on it or what, maybe it was just part of the handling issues, but that thing was, uh, yeah, that thing was, was pretty sketchy. And, and again, I, I think going back to it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a, it seems like racing. It's, it's gotta be a passion, you know, you can't get into it. think you're going to make money on it, especially in the ATV side. It's just not going to happen. You know, it costs, and that's the thing. It costs a lot of money to go race. The rewards are, you know, winning races, meeting friends, uh, creating memories, uh, but making money. There's a few people making money. It's just, it's so expensive now, you know, and it's gotta be, it, you, you gotta love it, you know? And I, it's kind of funny. I, I hear, I, you know, I, I'd love to talk more about photography, but we get back into talking about quads in the past and everything else. And they're both passions of mine. So I'm kind of jumping back and forth here. So, um, you know, but that's, yeah, that's, I, it was really cool when all the OEMs had all the machines out, you know, I mean, what's, what's the next chapter of this whole thing? Uh, I think I believe that there's, there's a 450 coming. I really do. I just don't know who it's coming from. I it would was, have to be Honda, I would think, because I mean, yeah, we've heard we've all heard the rumors they have one and this and that. But well, you if know. you're going to come out with, I, I don't care. Take the 14 that you quit making and remake it again. Yeah, people will buy. It. Are they not? Are they not making new? Is are they putting out? Can you buy a new four tracks now? No. You can buy four hundred. Yeah. You can buy X. Wow. You, okay. you know, or, I've been a little bit out of the loop, so I'm not sure. Um, you can buy those two models, but you can't buy a 450. And and no I think if they would have kept selling that 450, you you wouldn't have lost Joel because he couldn't buy new bikes. He couldn't get new parts. Mm. Well, you can get new parts, but the, you're buying the parts in that volume uh, got expensive. Um, I was kind of wondering why he switched over. I was curious. No, but, I mean it makes no sense. Honda money. No Honda money. As far yeah. as contingency things like that and and probably reliability uh, i don't think it was the bike i think there was other extenuating circumstances that i'm talking out my butt because i'm not in their circle so uh yeah you know i'm just assuming from what i've heard through the grapevine uh, and you know look at look at how good he's doing on the yamaha yeah he's doing great you he's doing great. And again you know the, the thing is he can ride you know yeah. and so it doesn't really matter what you get on at that point. I mean, yeah, at that level, certain things come into play, but he can ride. And if you put him on, you know, it's a good machine. It's not like he went backwards. Right. I mean, you, you, I, there again, I got a soft spot for Eichner, but Eichner could yeah. do anything. I mean, yeah, I don't care what it was. He Honda Suzuki. Yamaha. He was always fast. He was always fast. And, and you know what, even I'd like to think even with me riding so many machines, I, I was kind of bad at like going out and shock testing and stuff because I could sort of make anything, everything work. Yep. You know, I wasn't the best person to get information from. Like I could say I was doing this, doing that, but after a certain amount of time on a machine, I could just make it work, you know? And so I, I think that was to my fault. Cause I couldn't, I don't know if I ever made anything like perfect. Well, think, for me, you know, I think Doug was, um, so adaptable to what the machine was doing in his career because we had some shock setups that were not his fault for making a mistake. It was uh, me not being a shock guy and making adjustments to it where when the shock guys did get involved, they'd look at me like you did what, what? Yeah. you know, 
well, I was trying to make it better and he won anyways, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That hurt and, and, and his arms were sore and he was like, what did you do to my bike? Oh, I tried to make it better. And he goes, oh, well, you didn't. <laughs> I remember, I, I mean, I, may, I remember shooting Doug on, on, I think one of my, one of my, like when I first started shooting, still back in the film days, we went out to Glamis and he was on a red and yellow Banshee. Yep. All chromed out. And I got a picture of him jumping a dune at sunset. And it was like, I just went to shooting slide film. It was one of my first times actually shooting with that. And I just nailed it. It was just like the, the he used a flash. It came out. It was still one of my favorite shots. And there's another one. It, it's a Doug at the dunes. Again, I went out with him on a Duncan, uh, four tracks jumping away from me and the sun was setting right in front of him. You we probably remember the photo. Use that photo to this day. It, and I got to find the original. Cause that was again, even to this day, one of my favorite photos. Yeah, it was awesome. Beautiful. You know, and, and I, again, I was using remote strobes on that. It was sort of, it was just him and I, I think, were you out there? You, you were probably out there. Lauren was with you. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. We just went out in the dunes. I don't know if Lauren was riding with us or how I even got out there. We probably were. We just found some jump. We were the only ones out there. And, uh, that's still one of my favorite shots. I've, I've always tried to replicate that. Never found the right setting for it. Can't do it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm not the <laughs> guy that can answer that question. When we go on photo shoots, what I think looks cool and what actually does look cool are two totally yeah. different things. Um, you, you know, I mean, I'm looking for the actual drive out of the turn instead of the big, yeah. super, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yep. People love the big roost, you know? Oh, always. I mean, we always, it's always like the left-hand turn, big roof shot. Like you can't really go wrong with that. We call it the MXA left turn because I don't, they do a lot of that stuff where they take a bike and just whip it around the backside of a berm, throw a roost. Like they're famous for that. We always joke about that, you know? Um, you but get, I guess getting, when you get the roost to roll like a wave. Oh, you know, or you see it spinning or you see the sand spinning around the beadlock kind of makes those little rooster tails. Right? Those are still like the most desirable, like sand shot. And I haven't shot out in the dunes in a while, you know, um, well, right now sand season has gone. We've been trying to plan some stuff, but a couple of the UTVs that I was going to shoot, they weren't done. And again, they're UTVs in a sand dune. Like you just kind of cruise them around. You can't launch. Well, guys are launching them, but you know, I still prefer to shoot a quad or a motorcycle jumping rather than a side-by-side, you know, I, it's just, it's, I mean, I guess getting back to photography, I, I, you know, I knew we, again, I, I feel there's so many different things we can talk about. And I, I know there's a lot of people want to hear about photography and it's something that anybody can get into and enjoy. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I tell people is a camera is simply a device to capture how one envisions a subject, whether it's a, a flower or a quad or food, you're capturing it. And that's all a camera does. And it's, it's, you know, you can put a cup on a table and give a camera to 10 different people and you're going to get 10 different photos. And it's as close as you can come to looking out somebody's eyes. And I think for me, that's why I enjoy looking at other photographers work because you can see it's, it's how else can you look through somebody else's eyes? You know, and if you think about it that way, it's actually pretty cool. Do you come up with many times where you have to get out of your comfort zone and shoot things in, in a total different way where what, what I'm trying to say is you have 
the specific deal you're, you're shooting and you know how yeah. to do it that way. And then they throw yeah. a wrench in the deal and say, no, you can't do that. Yeah. And, and again, let's, let's, we'll transfer over to the photography conversation here. Um, to answer that question. Yes. And, you know, I have my, my safety shots that I just, I know I'm going to nail and I know how they're going to look. Um, but I've been doing this a long time. So now after I know I have what I want, that's when I go outside my comfort zone, shoot into the sun, shoot light it a different way. Um, and try to experiment. I mean, that's the only way you're going to learn. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, and you know, back in the film days, every time you shot film, it cost you money. Now with digital, it doesn't cost you any money. I mean, yeah, the initial investment's expensive, but after you start, you know, you can break the rules. You don't have to have the sun behind your back. You can have it going right into the lens to get some sort of effects. You can offset it with strobes or reflectors or using silks. Um, you know, that's so to get out of your comfort zone, you know, I'm all about it. I mean, that's the only way you're going to learn. You know, I, I still have my studio and during COVID when there was nothing going on, I would literally come up with these shots in my head, go into my studio and try to achieve them. And it's not, you know, photography today, it's not most of the time. It's just not one photo that creates one shot. I mean, I might shoot, I shot a, a pair of shoes a few weeks ago. One shoe was probably like 10 photos composited together because everything's lit a separate way. The sole, the shoelaces, the background, and then everything is put together like a puzzle in Photoshop after the fact. So photography has, it's really changed. I mean, I've been compositing for a long time, but it's the only way to bring out, sometimes you just can't light everything in one shot. It has to be done in pieces and it gets put together after the fact. Let me ask you this. What happened to the reality and raw? As far as just shooting it the way it is. Yep. Again, I, um, depending when I'm shooting, I love that. And a big trend that I've been seeing right now is a lot of clients that I'm shooting for. They don't want the They don't want the images to look professional. Um, let me give you a, for instance, I saw a Ford commercial, uh, recently, and it's a couple guys at the job site and they're, they have their cell phones out and filming each other working, you know, and, and taking wool lumber out of the, uh, out of their trucks and having lunch and shoot. How's the day going? Blah, blah, blah. Totally to look like it's done. That's all fun and Danny, but I recognize the location. It was done at Disney ranch. So they they're trying to make it look like shaky and not so smooth. And again, I, there's a lot of lighting going on and stuff that I could see, but a lot of, even my clients now want things to be rough and not so perfect and to make it look like it was shot on a cell phone. Actually, I just did a job recently. I lit the whole thing. I used multiple reflectors, silks overhead and everything. We shot on iPads and iPhone. <laughs> so for me, you know, I have a quarter million dollars worth of equipment for me. I, I don't know if I want to laugh or I want to cry. I lit it. It was all lit and it was measured out and we had everything. It was just a quick, some video clips for a client and, but we shot it all on cell phones and they wanted that look and shot a certain way. And they wanted it edited on a cell phone afterwards. It was a video. And I, I see this a lot. That's now. And I, I, sometimes I, I don't know what to think about that, <laughs> you know, and look, 
again, a camera, it doesn't matter if you shoot it with, you know, a $10,000 still camera or a $50,000 red cinema camera or a cell phone. If you shoot within the means of what that camera is capable of, once it goes on Instagram, you really can't tell the difference. Again, cell phones are a great tool. They capture stuff. And if you YouTube videos that were shot or movies shot on iPhone, they're phenomenal. They'll have a full crew. Um, there was a commercial recently. Well, I, Lady Gaga did a video and the whole thing was shot on cell phones, but it was professionally lit. I mean, they had a 50 person crew, this and that, but they did it all on iPhones. Why? I, I think it was probably something to do with Apple, but I've also seen a lot of great stuff done again, working within the capabilities of the camera, you know, and never in my life when I started it, did I think I would be shooting things with a cell phone and I hate it. <laughs> you know, it, again, you can make it look good. I can shoot it with my red camera or I could shoot it with, with my cell phone. As long as it's within those capabilities, once it goes on, on Instagram, you can't tell. So for me, it's cool to have that technology. And I even look at what my 12 year old daughter shoots with our, my, you know, her cell phone, a picture of our new puppy. And I, I sometimes was like, Oh my God, that's incredible. So technology is definitely helping things out, but I'm a very, for me, I'm a very technical photographer. I'm very mathematical and I'm very precise. So, you know, there's a lot of great photographers out there doing a lot of great things, you know, but if you give them, if they're out on a sunny day and you tell them you have to use three strobes, two reflectors and a silk and a sun and the sun and make everything work together. And you have five shots to do it in. There's not a lot of people that can do it because it comes down to math. You know, each light puts out a numeric value and all those have to be thought out in order to get the complete image to work. You know, maybe you want more light from the sun. So you have to have to take that into consideration. Maybe you want a little less light on this side, a little that side. Then it all comes down to, like, I still use a light meter. Nobody uses light meters anymore. You know, I was on a, a shoot for Maxis out in Mammoth and we were shooting McGrath on uh, this KX500 for um, uh, a monster energy thing. And I just kind of hopped on their tails to go do that. And I, I was out there with my meter measuring some stuff and there's some kid out there shooting and he has, he has a red camera and a gimbal. I mean, he probably had a $60,000 rig in his hands and he goes, Hey man, what's that thing in your hand? I'm like, what? I go this. He goes, yeah. I go, that's a light meter. He says, what does it do? And I kind of had to laugh to myself. I'm just like, you have a $60,000 rig. You're asking what a light meter is, but you know, the light meter, it basically measures light. It puts a numeric value to light. And you take those numbers and you input them into your camera with a lot of the technology that's out there. Now the cameras are so good. Like red's philosophy is shoot now, worry about it later. Is it cool? Yeah. Well, I want some, what I shoot that way. No, it, it basically, you don't have to worry too much about it has a lot of, uh, instruments in there to give you the right exposure. But if it's not right in post-production, you can make it right. Again, technology's there. You might as well use it. But I just come from the old school way of thinking. What I was getting at is raw, unedited stuff for reality yeah. purposes. Like if I'm going to shoot you right now, or if I'm going to drop this on, on 
YouTube, we're not going to be edited. We're going to be raw and people are going to see our imperfections and our, and the way we are. And isn't that more reality? Haven't we lost some side of, haven't we lost some side of what the, the tennis shoes really look like or the supermodel really looks like in the photo because of all the editing and the makeup and well, more the editing than anything, you know, the makeup's been there, around forever. There is something to be said about that. I do like that, but as a commercial photographer and I shot, I was on working with a, with a guy and I was shooting models for about two years. I'm talking the most gorgeous women you've ever seen in your life. It didn't matter who they were. They still had to go through Photoshop no matter what. And I'm talking drop dead gorgeous. There was things that had to be fixed. And I do appreciate the raw and like that, but my job as a commercial photographer is to make that product, whether it's a model or a billet part or whatever, to make it look the best that it can so that it sells. But I do, I do understand what you're saying. I do like just that kind of raw look and look, we all like seeing celebrities with no makeup on and what they really look like you know, and it's like, they're real people too. You know, they're not this prop or this. And, but again, my job is to make, make. I was, I wasn't trying to say that I was just trying to get your take on the raw. Yeah. What we perceive it to be and what it actually is. That's all I was trying to get is a, is a a take on that. I, I know you're every time you snap your photo, it's perfect. I know that. I, I, <laughs> I try. That. Thank you. Uh, and and it's it's all really good in our industry. Y- your people that are coming into the industry today know who you are because timers <laughs> talk about you and talk about how good your stuff is. And no, I appreciate that. Well, it's not just me. It's it's yeah you know, across the board. And there's it, guys it, way more about it than I do. You know, I had to work, I had to work really hard for that. And, you know, I'm a perfectionist and I'm my own worst critic. I mean, I've shot stuff where the clients have loved it and I'm just like, no, this is crap. And I, when I do an edit, I go through it and make sure they see what I want them to see, you know? And I, I, I love that people have latched onto my photography or can tell right away that I shot that photo without seeing a photo credit on there. You know, I worked really hard to to get to that point, you know, and photography, it's just, for me, I've just been living and breathing it for so long and to be able to incorporate it into quads and motorcycles and try to put my take on what I think it should look like. Um, you know, I worked long and hard for that, you know, um, as far as again, going back to the whole raw thing. Yeah. I still like to see stuff the way it is but I haven't done it that way in so long now, you know, when you shoot something that? like that, that whole <laughs> right there, as it is, that's as raw as it gets. That thing is, yeah. We said a three, it's an old three wheeler. It's a 70. Oh my God. It's a was that your dad here? You're talking about, was that your originally your dad's whose was that? That was my hanging in the shop of my dad, my dad's shop. And he did, it was just hanging there. And then it came back to the, 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 the shop here and got hung in the rafters and it hung in the rafters forever. And my dad started restoring seventies and we're doing one for a friend. So the hydraulic brakes, you know, the disc brakes, yeah, right, right. he's adapting all this stuff to this machine. No, he could go buy the kit 
And that's not my dad. You know, it's kind of like you, the way you do your photos. My dad wants to do it his way, the way he thinks is cool. And uh, so he's building parts, 85 years old, gets up and, you know, whenever and goes out and makes a part because he thought of it, you know, in the middle of the Yeah, yeah. I heard you talking about that before. And I think that's so great. I mean, especially being, you know, older and just having a cool, being able to have the knowledge to even get on a machine and make your parts and put it all together. I mean, that's so great. Well, it's self-taught too. You know, I mean, he went to college for a little bit of it, but he bought a CNC mill and didn't know how to use it. <laughs> and now he's that's awesome. Yeah. You know, Oh, Oh man. Yeah. How about the plastic for that thing? Are you gonna be able to get plastic for it? Uh, you can buy aftermarket stuff for it. Um, and you can buy decals. Um, there's a lot of stuff because there's a whole 70. It's a pretty big scene, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And, uh, you could buy aftermarket <laughs> almost everything now, but, uh, oh, yeah, man. It's, it's cool. It's really cool. Those guys have done some phenomenal stuff and they probably don't get enough praise in, in the, in the industry as a whole, but they've created a whole niche market for themselves and it's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I've been seeing a lot of on the, the glamorous posts and stuff like that, like big groups of little seventies that are going out there that are all tricked out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome stuff. Adam, oh, man. thank you so much for coming on ATV talk. Um, My I, normally pleasure. I normally don't limit our time. Um, I would like to invite you back for another another go around if you'd be willing to come back and talk with us more. I'd, I'd love to, cause I'd like to, you know, I, I know I was kind of, I kept a lot of notes on what I wanted to talk about today and there's just so many things I want to talk about. I know it's just bouncing all over the place. So hopefully it made some sort of sense to everybody, but again, yeah, I'd like to get a little bit more into the photography and see if I could, you know, help people out getting into photography, um, you know, what to buy, what to look out for the basics and stuff like that, I think would be, you know, cause again, I'm seeing more and more of that around. And originally that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, but I was just pretty excited to uh, talk to you about just some of the old stuff and some of the racing, some stories and like that old thing. So yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I think we can get into some of the photography stuff, but I'd, I'd still like to go back and talk ATVs as well. You know, the 250R. Oh yeah. And some of the- Oh, and I got some funny stories too. There's, I have a couple of those sitting here too. <laughs> well, I will definitely reach back out with you and and get you on the show again. Uh, again, I appreciate so much that you come on with ATV talk and spend time with us and spend time with me. Um, I've always considered you a friend. Uh, we don't thank you. Thank you. Much. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if we've ever done a, a build together where you, we, it's been a while. Machines. I know you've ridden our machines, but I don't know if you've ever had a, a, a specific build where, you took it and played with it for a while. I haven't. And I, and look, I'll always say you guys have always had the cleanest machines out there. They always worked. I, I wrote them for some 24 hour tests. I think we did one in Gorman once. Yep. Um, and I've written them through the magazine and stuff. I never raced any, but I wrote, and every time I get off, I just, I, they were always so clean. They never had any problems. You guys were like the closest thing to like a factory supported ride that like I've seen, you know, even with like, um, Spader and everybody else, like we've done a bunch of shoots with him. And every time we go out there, the thing just looked immaculate, perfect. And it's something even with my racing, I always tried to emulate, like I'd always 
make sure that the bike was perfectly clean, ready to go. And that's just something that I always got. You guys always made beautiful machines. And actually, if you guys come up with something cool, I'd love to come out and shoot it for you guys. No, we'd love to, we'd love to have you. Like if you have whatever you have built and ready to go, call me, I'll shoot it and we'll just send it over to whatever publication or wherever you want to get it to, or I'll give it to you and send it to whoever you want to do. Well, I'll definitely reach out to Lauren uh, tomorrow and, uh, we'll talk okay. and I mean, it'd be great to in the process of, of building some stuff right now. Um, okay. I just finished one that I, we already shot with dirt wheels and it's okay. shipped to Pennsylvania this week. I, when okay. your episode airs, it will already be in Pennsylvania and the young lady that owns it will already be riding it. But, okay. um, I do tape ahead. I, I think you've heard that probably in a couple episodes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't, whatever you come up with, just let me know and I'll just jam out. If it's a track bike, I'll meet you to track. If it's a desert bike, we'll go to the desert. Um, and we'll shoot it. Sounds great, man. Sounds That'd great. be great. I mean, it'd be great to hang out with you guys like old time. So, um, and again, great job on the show. I, I'm, I'm gonna super stoked you, to be a part of it. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to put a twist throttle on it. So oh, fuck. I'm your, not riding it then. Bring your twist throttle guy. You know, you know, you got to come with your twist throttle bag so that you can ride it. You know, I got something better. Why don't you ride it? And then I shoot it. And then we're all, everybody's happy. Uh, I'm getting too fat to be the guy on the bike. Oh, stop. Come on. <laughs> My wife's kind of all right. Down, but uh, yeah, I, I would love to do that. I haven't, I haven't ridden a magazine bike, um, since 16 or maybe seven. Oh man. And did I hear you're getting into a little bit of mountain biking? I had been, uh, before I got married, uh, I, I rode my <laughs> first real suspended mountain bike in 12 and, um, kind of fell in love with the, just being able to get away and just go and ride a trail. And, 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 you know, I crashed a lot and I, and I've, got some scars that I didn't have before. Um, all of my scars come from downhill. Um, Dude, I know more people out of all the years racing and everything else. I know more people that have been jacked up on mountain bikes than anything. I mean, I knock on wood, I, I go back and forth between road and mountain bike and, and e-bike. So all my buddies now have one road bike, one mountain bike, one e-mountain bike. And I got to tell you, like, as far as staying fit, having fun. Well, also I've had a lot of people get hurt on them. Like I love it. And that's where my competitive side is gone now. And it, when I was riding, you know, it was, God, I went riding with Eichner and, and you know, guys in the shoe. In, in his, yeah, yeah. he still doesn't get tired. You know, I'm training, I'm riding five days a week. I ride the same trail. I'm freaking killing it. He comes out there cold, hasn't ridden in four months and is right there tucked in or in front of me. And I'm like, how is this even possible? You know, well, here's what's so cool about cycling. And maybe, so again, avid cyclist, this is what I do. This is my, this is how I compete now is I'm on my bicycle. Most I'm I'll be 50 in December and all my buddies that I ride with, like my one main buddy is 62, 63. If I'm not on my game, I'm, I like to think of myself as a fairly strong rider. He's kicking my ass. And actually last week we rode, he kicked my ass. We did like 5,000 feet of climbing on a road bike. He kicked my ass. So the one cool thing about cycling is it's that it's a non-age discriminatory sport, which is crazy. I mean, yeah, the young guys are going to be really fast, but as far as like, I mean, I've been waxed by 70 year olds. It's crazy. 
like the guys that are hardcore riding, like it's, it's a gnarly sport. I mean, I, I tell people this, like my bicycle is a beautiful torture device. Oh yeah. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You can't believe how much bikes cost. And it's just a beautiful torture device. Like I look at it and say it's beautiful, but then sometimes I look at it and just like, God, this thing hurts so bad. I don't ride road bikes. You're going to probably laugh at this. It's too painful. Not the, the yeah. cycling portion, but it hurts my arms. And you're thinking, what are you doing? You pedal. I have so much pain through that, that travels through the rigid bike, through yes. my, my hands and my arms, my forearms, my biceps. And I don't know what it is, but it's, it's just when I get done riding a road bike and I know I don't go on 50 mile rides because I, I never have been that guy. I can go on a 20 right. mile road bike ride and I can't use my hands for like, four it's, it's rough. I'll feel it in my neck and I'll feel it in my lower back. You can't have the bike sized where you go and they put the computers and the lasers on you and it, it helps quite a bit, but yeah, the, all that shock goes right from your arms to your neck to everything. So I understand it, you know, yeah. and well, that's why mountain bikes are good. I get on the mountain bike and I have none of that. Have you rode a good e-bike yet? No, I'm afraid to, because then I want to buy one. And then my wife will probably make me sleep outside with the dogs. And yep. uh, I, I just, you know, I wanted to be a hater and a lot of people were until you ride them. And again, I have some buddies that are like, I can't believe you ride an e-bike. You're like, Look, you can get just as much of a workout on an e-bike as you can on a regular bike, depending on the power of the motor. You just, you gain that distance is what you get. But as far as fun goes, oh man, I mean, you climb up a hill at 12, 13 miles an hour, 14 miles an hour, and then it's downhill and they're crazy. And the other crazy, I saw an e-mountain bike the other day and I'll let you go. $16,000. Yeah. New specialized Evo. I don't know what model it is. $16,000. You can buy a KX450, put a pipe on there, probably do some suspension work some tires probably for that price. Probably less. Yeah. $16,000 on there as well. And, and yeah, that? you got to put a tuner yeah. on as well. So you got to calculate that in there and you're still under 16 grain. Yeah. It, it, it's insane what they're getting for bikes. And just like you or in the ATV thing, you can't get parts. I just built a new road bike. It took four and a half months to get the frame and another three months to get the handlebars. Yeah. And they raise their prices on the bikes, like, like specialized, like 1200 bucks on the beach bike. Because they, a, they can't get material B they can't get labor mm -hmm. and, and C people are ordering him faster than they can even deal with it. Well, I'm kind of curious because on the website, mine's considered a, I don't know if it's a 2020 or 2021, but I don't know how they're going to release 2022s because you can't even get the 2020s. Right. So it's really weird. I don't know how that's going to come into play. And that's a lot of things. I mean, I speak to a lot of deal. You hear the deal with GMC or, or Chevy. They're not released. Is that with the microprocessors? Is that the microprocessor yeah. shortage? Yeah. They can't fricking the brain. They can't make the brain. Yeah. 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 And that there, that goes with all cars and everything. I think it think is more than GMC, that microprocessor shortage, like Ford, screwed everything. I don't think Ford's having the same issue, but there again, I'm not going out to, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I just love anything negative about GMC. So, <laughs> and the thing is you can't like my wife just bought a new car. You can't get deals. There's no more negotiating. It's like MSRP or over MSRP. 
I never paid MSRP for a car. Right. You know, which is insane. So it's, it's, I mean, this goes into a whole nother conversation here, but man, it's, it's really weird how things are going. It is. But anyway, I look, I, I, I'm sure again, I was all over the map. Um, I'd love to talk more about maybe just photography specific, but I was excited to talk to you just about kind of everything. So hopefully it still worked out. That's why we're here is to talk about everything and let the conversation goes where it, it may. And, and it's just like, if we come back and every person that I've ever had a topic that we wanted to talk about most every time that we do that, that's not what we talk about. Well, yeah, I have a whole list here in front of me, a computer of 20 different bullet points. I've just hit like a few. Cause we just started like, look, there's more to my racing than what I said. There's a lot more than talking, you know, photography. I've, I'm known more for my photography than my racing. I think at this point, so, you know, it would have been cooler to get a little bit deeper into that, but you know, either way, hopefully it leaves the door open for the next time, which I would, I would love to, and kind of whittle it down, but you know, it, where it organically goes, you know, it's just like one of those things. So. Well, expect to hear from me. Um, please probably there's variations of different things that I do from chats to industry deals. And, um, to, to, to the individual. So be prepared. You may get tagged. I'm, I'm ready. Any, anytime, buddy. I, again, you, you, by hearing your, your podcast, it really lit a fire under my ass and how much I miss. It seems like a lifetime ago that I was racing and stuff. And I actually have a picture of you and I together. I got to find it at Mickey Thompson's in Vegas. And you're just sitting there talking to me. Somebody snapped a picture of you talking to me when I was on the line or something like that, or right before we rolled in, you know, mm-hmm. and I, that's, Again, just hearing all these podcasts, just lit up. I was just like, God, is this, I want to bring this part of my life back into it somehow. You know, like I don't shoot it that often anymore and I miss it. And all your podcasts are just, honestly, they're making me crazy. (laughs) The young guys don't know. Did I talk to a guy? I talked to a guy uh, a few weeks ago. Had no clue who I was. And that's okay. I'm nobody. I get it. But Dude, I've been in the industry almost 40 Forever. years more. Yeah. And, and yeah. he doesn't know. And that means there's no history. That means that nobody's telling the history. And that, hence, that's where ATV talking. But see that history. And again, like, I think when we spoke last time, like, I want to know more about that 200R, that three-wheeler. Like, I want to go deep into the three-wheeling routes and some of that racing. And it, you've touched on a lot of it most of it with Marty Hart and Jimmy white and stuff like that. But there's still so there's many little so many stories guys. that I want to know about. Yeah. There's so many guys that I want to talk to um, and tracking them down and finding them is difficult. And then getting them. I think if you, I think if you can get Mickey would be a really great interview. Well, give me his contact. Uh, you know what? Let me look and see if I have his number and I'll text it to you. I'll see if it's still, it might, whether it's otherwise it's probably just under four stroke tech. I would imagine. Uh, text me that too. Okay. I'll text you that when we hang up here, but yeah, there's so many, I love here in the past. I just love it. And especially with, even like with Corey Ellis and everything else, like, cause that's who I raced with. I mean, Corey tagged me in a Mickey Thompson race. First time I was doing good. I was like, I think I, I led a couple laps and a qualifying. And then, uh, I think I dropped to like fourth. He was behind me, tagged me foot went under the axle, broken ankle. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. There's certain things. So like hearing him talk, I was just kind of laughing. I remember all that, like with Greg Stewart and stuff like that. I mean, I'm great trying stories. to track him down too. He's, he's, I'll say it. What's that about Greg? He's, he's difficult to get hold of. I'll tell you what, real quick, that guy, he was 
one of the gnarliest riders I've ever seen in my life. He was doing stuff that I just couldn't, you know, even in my heyday that I couldn't even imagine. He was clearing his double at this fairground track that we raced at out in Palmdale that the 250 bikes were barely doing. It was huge. And I remember Jay Jay Helsley, remember him? Yep. He tried it and just stuck the landing like a gymnast and broke everything. (laughs) And that's another guy, him and I, every time we raced together, Jay Helsley and me, we came together. Didn't matter whether it was Mickey's or Glenn Helen or Top Gun. I mean, I could tell you stories all day long. Every time I raced with that guy, we crashed together. Well, Don't know what it was. We're going to bring you back. <laughs> Please. <laughs> now uh, it's getting, now it's getting real towards the end here. So it always uh, does. It always does. Oh God. All right. Brother. All right, buddy. Well, let me know when you have that bike built. I'll go shoot that thing for you just to go hang out and have a good time. And, uh, yeah, please keep me in the loop. I'd love to come back on. We'll try to make it an LT 500. Oh God. That'd be awesome. Perfect. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take All care. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Let man. me know if you need anything else. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.